Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the All right, are you ready, Chris? The CBS Sports Podcast Network. Oh, is that a thing? I guess yeah. I should know that, huh? I got the memo. Okay. Thanks to Bud Elliott for wising me to all these things here, but anyways, uh still 24/7 sports, but officially the network for the podcast is CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Cazazza. That was Chris Anderson. We are in week one, which is actually the second week, week zero, which I don't know why they call it that and not week one. Five games, had a conference game, have a coach on the hot seat, have Mr. Randy Edsel back <laughs> in business. I was going to say in the house, and of course it would be in the beach house. But, man, starting tomorrow, Chris, a Wednesday game. A handful of Thursday games, a handful of Friday games, and then not a full serving on Friday because there's so or Saturday because there's so many games before it, but the first full Saturday of the season. And man, it can't get here soon enough. This feels really good. And I, I hesitate to use the word normal anymore, but I, I did kind of miss this and I'm looking forward to more toward normal. Yeah, this this feels good. It, it was last week <laughs> sitting down and watching a Noon Big Ten game that started out with a pair of safeties and a bunch of turnovers. Mm-hmm. It just felt right. Uh, between that and watching UConn get absolutely blasted and a Randy Edsel defense give up 45 points and not score a single time, like this felt like it was 2019 again, um, which you know was pre all this stuff. So it felt good to be back. Felt good to kind of sit down and be ready for you know espn's game day and 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 talking about gambling and you and i sending each other screenshots of uh wagers we may or may not be making uh that may or may not be successful um somehow you turning out to be more of a degenerate than me that was i don't know what the odds were on that but uh kudos to whoever cashes that check um which wait before we get started by the way did you not see the post on the board about this? We're going to make I, a change to the charity bets and, and well, you're being involved, whether you like it or not. I've gotten some private messages that say that I'm supposed to inquire because you have something up your sleeve for me, which could be really bad news. <laughs> well, as as some of our listeners know, I, I've been doing with the charity bets for at least two years, maybe three now, where I, I post five bets a week. Uh, not gone great, uh, which is good news for the charities, I guess. But I... Last year, I switched it up, added in a board bet where I would solicit, um, you know, suggestions from our board members, our VIP board members. Got some good ones. Actually, I think the board bets might have done better than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But now I think we're going to set one aside uh, for you, too. So we got five. I'm going to make five bets each week. Three of them will be my own. One will be board bets and one, one will be Mike's. And uh, I think maybe we'll keep track for the whole year. Stack us up against each other, me versus you versus the board. See how things go and and, and go from there. What do you think? I, you yeah, know, you can't I, say you can't say no now. It's I'm in. Already, it's, it's out. I'm in. Is, is there like a, a limit on UConn bets I can make? <laughs> if if you win, like 
five uh, five UConn bets in a row. Uh, I'm gonna have to cap it there. Okay. okay? They were glorious. <laughs> they gave up 17 points in like three minutes at the end of the first half, and I have no idea how. They gave yeah. up back to back. No one sweat play for you. Drive. Absolutely no sweat on those. Back to back one play touchdown drive. <laughs> it was so good. Oh man, it just made me feel like things were were finally falling back into place there. And then we fall back into place at West Virginia. Saturday, 3.30 at Maryland. Weather, listen, I'm knocking on wood here. It's going to be miserable getting up to the game, I think. But it looks like Friday into Saturday across the weekend. Sunny, little to no chance of precipitation. Decent temperatures. I think, you know, this time of year, you're always concerned about like a 92-degree day and it being significantly warmer on the turf. Maybe not going to happen here. Um, so that's good. I would hate to see this game played under like a monsoon or like gray skies or just kind of like half and half weather. So that looks good. And then, um, I don't know, this this is a game that's typically meant a lot for West Virginia. The outcome can shape the season, it seems like, one way or the other. Uh, and again, a really rare treat here. They don't often play away from home in a true road game setting in a non-conference matchup. I think we said, what, 1982 was the last time that happened. So a whole lot to look forward to, a whole lot to discuss. We'll definitely get into that this week. Uh, the preview podcast will come up. We'll have Neil Brown, coordinators, coaches today to kind of update us on, I don't know, maybe depth chart, maybe starters, personnel. It's been a while since we talked to them, I think more than 10 days at this point. So a lot will happen between now and then. But today, since there is considerable hype and anticipation, thought it'd be a good idea to do some questions from listeners. Going to try to limit these to the actual game, maybe one or two deviations, including one I'll get to here in a second. But um and this is kind of going to be what we do throughout the season here. We've, Chris, we've, we've had our meetings and our game plans. We have our playbook ready for the season. Uh, I think we got it right this time. Yeah, we're going to up up the ante, have a, a third podcast. We'll do the post-game pod like we did last year. We'll do a Q&A pod like we did last year where we, we kind of open things up on Sunday for your questions, kind of just like this. And we'll post that on Monday evening most likely, kind of just wrap up the previous week and move toward the next game and then obviously have our game preview pod that'll go up on Thursday, just like we did last year. So um, I think, uh, I think that is a good schedule. That is what you should expect uh, listeners for, for the course of the year. And, and we'll stick to it as best we can, maybe have an emergency pod if something crazy happens, but um, that'll be our schedule moving forward. Mm -hmm. And if you're a new subscriber, which there are scores of new subscribers, this is not going to be like opening a newspaper when you open the website where you're going to find a bunch of stories every week. You'll see that you have to write about the team videos, things like that, but also the podcasts um, do some play breakdowns. We have the ever acrimonious text from game day. Chris, you have feedback from uh, preview, I guess, Intel insight from the other side of the matchup. That'll be, uh -huh. I'm guessing Jeff Ehrman and, and Maryland this week, correct? Yep. That'll be up on Wednesday. Yeah. Charity bets. So, yeah, listen, a lot of your traditional, quote unquote, journalism, but also some stuff that's way outside the box. Um, I think we step outside the box and then take five or six long strides away from the box. So a little bit different. If you're new, welcome. Get used to it. Uh, it's going to be strange. It's not going to be like what you're probably used to, but uh, I think it's actually pretty fun. Um, let's jump into the questions and answers, Chris. And of course, you'll come back, sweep up what we don't get to. There are some very good questions that aren't really fitting in our mold right now, but there's one I don't want to skip and let you get all by yourself in print. Um, and we have not talked since this happened. Um, Bob Huggins, new contract, which is actually very much like his old contract. Um, so a question from 
Oh boy, I don't even have to say this one. P H A R M N A T E T. Um, with the extension given to Hugs, do you believe that after the 23 24 season he is done coaching, or is the two year extension just a way for him to evaluate after that season if he still wants to coach? That's part one. Uh, his other part of the question here, and I'll just kind of abbreviate it, is he, he realistically could get a thousand wins now, which I do think those things do kind of mean something to him after a while. Um, I think if you listen to his his tone the past couple of years, he has looked in the rearview mirror a little bit, and he's started to appreciate things and, and realize and even shared how, how lucky and fortunate, and I think he's as blessed that he's been. I think he does enjoy um, the path of his career and the things that he's doing. I also think he thinks that he could actually be that person that people talk about years and years from now, too, and that, that does sit well with him. I'm not sure that 1,000 is a hollow achievement for him. I think he might think about it, but um, this the question here is, do you think that when the three guaranteed years are done, is he done? Does he look at those option years as ways to get to a thousand or just to go for as long as he thinks? And then I guess my question would be, are we doing this again in five or six years from now? And he's just getting another lifetime contract. I mean, I think five or six years is probably it. I think that's, I don't think we're doing this again in a few years, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm with it. Like, I mean, I'll admit it. Like when you, you were like, Hey, I got this scoop on this, on this contract extension. I was like, Hmm, what, what do you why does there need to be a contract extension because you know it, it kind of says that basically he can renew uh that, that huggins can just say hey i want to keep coaching uh and he has to submit that by i can't remember what the date was i believe it was july or september for the year two years out and kind of just could keep going as long as he wanted to and as you noted this kind of just guarantees that he's the head coach instead of having to do that moving forward uh keeps him in that position uh, shows that, I, and I think it's important for recruiting. Uh, we always talk about how it's important for recruiting. I know that's not your favorite thing about a guy must have four years. I know you you, you stick with that in football, mm-hmm. but if, if I feel like there's a difference when it comes to at any moment this guy could retire, and it's that goes for everybody. But when it just says it right there in the contract that we're going year by year and just figure this out later, some recruits might not be okay with that. Uh, I'm not aware of that working against WVU in any way for basketball at this point, but it's probably something on the back of his mind too. I think that there's a few coaches who could talk to a kid when the kid says, listen, you're a year to year. You only have two years left. There's only a few coaches who could say, don't worry, I can take care of this. And Huggins would be one of them. Yeah. This removes even the need for that. It's, instead of him having to seek permission or, or whatever, he just gets three years. That's good. What I'm curious about is why do it? When there's no new money or anything, salary is the same. They make a point of saying that. And I just, I just kind of heard it wasn't the easiest negotiation for different adjectives to kind of meet contentious, you know, wasn't an even fit back and forth. So they probably had to get to a certain point, which makes me wonder what was it before? Uh, how did it end up on this number? And is that anything to worry about? I don't know. We'll see. Um, I would say this in, de- in defense of, if you will, for Shane Lyons, it's such an unusual concept too to have to like give a coach a situation like this and you know, Huggins is Huggins. I get that. But I just think any implication of how you handle a coach when he's toward the end, you know, certainly toward the end, much more than toward the finish or the start, I guess, of his career. Um, there's so many ways you can interpret even like a slight gesture, like, like I'm doing right now. Like what if it was just um, a minor difference of opinion? What if it was just, this is how it's gone somewhere else. This is how the way I'd like to do it. And that may be the right way. It might not be the most popular way, but, my point being that from a thousand yards away, this looks like Bob Huggins is getting a couple more years to do his job at West Virginia. That's probably the biggest takeaway and the only one worth even mentioning right now. Yeah, I think 
for me, this, I, I mean, it, it was big news. Like it, it, you, you lock up your future hall of fame coach. It, it's, he's going to finish his career at West Virginia. I don't think that was really in doubt, but I think it kind of, there's always been questions, not, not, I'm not even thinking about recruits now, but fans. And they're always wondering, Hey, when's Huggins last year? Is this Huggins last year? Is this Huggins last year? And this kind of answers that this might put a little more of a timeline on it. And I think, you know, just this coming out, I, you know, none of this is bad news here. I think it's all good news. And, and, um, you know, West Virginia basketball is in good hands. And assistant coaches, two year contracts, right? Mm-hmm. Huggins has three, so you figure this is going to be at least two years. I don't think anybody was worried about one, but this is at least two years. And then, I don't know, if I'm doing the math in my head, if you get guys in a two-year contract, you probably bring it back for one more two-year contract. So Huggins gets three, maybe he asks for one more. That's four years. I would say minimum there's four years left together here. And do you, I, I think that's about right. But I mean, I'm not trying to put a timeline myself on Huggins' career. He, you know, oh he's, yeah, he's earned the right to kind of keep going. But I think four more years is reasonable. I, I think he's getting up there. He's he's not he has not been shy about the fact that, you know, he's nearing the end. Uh, but he's also been pretty open about how he feels pretty good. Like these past couple, you know, coming into the past couple seasons, he's been asked about that and been pretty open about. This, I feel pretty darn good. Feel good about this. I feel great. I I feel healthy. I feel ready. I'm excited for the season. I got, you know, you know what he likes to say. I got good kids. Makes him feel good. Ready for the next year. So um, who knows? Maybe, maybe having good kids on your team kind of gives you that renewed life to keep it going. Amazing how that works, huh? Uh-huh. Let's shift ahead. Chris, this morning, point spread down to two and a half points. West Virginia favored on the road against Maryland. This line is is dipping slowly, but the money is coming in a certain direction. This was four and three and a half, three, two and a half. I don't know where it'll be a kickoff time, but this is pretty even matchup. It looks by most projections uh, over under is 57 and a half. The betting line is is not even, I guess, but it's not influential one way or the other where you got to take it. Um, this looks like it's going to be what a lot of people professor, maybe, which is an even matchup and probably a pretty competitive game at the start of the season. What do we make of new numbers and, the FPI from ESPN is changing all of a sudden. Is it just because we're getting closer to the start of the regular season, or is I don't know somebody with a bad ankle and isn't going to play on Saturday? Uh, the Vegas thing is that's just money. That's just people putting money down. I don't think too much of it. Um, I feel okay with it because what's strange here is that since that line has dropped, well, obviously in football there are all these key numbers uh, when it comes to wagering and that's that's three and seven because you know you score in field goals and touchdowns and since that line has dropped below three went since it's dropped to two and a half 83 percent of the money has come in on west virginia since then so it might go back up because uh, obviously vegas's thing is to try to uh even out the money on both sides so they always win but i don't feel like there's any kind of Weird thing. What, what the one thing that freaks me out—not freaks me out, but makes me just scratch my head and wonder—is that ESPN Football Power Index that you referenced. I put the story up yesterday. I check it every week, and I, not during the preseason, but during the season, I check it every week. And I put it up. I think it was August fourth, and it was what it was. What it was, and then like what the the whole point of the Football Power Index is that it's not supposed to be influenced influenced by 
people, by a person, by opinions and such. It's supposed to be based off of talent, the roster, and the ratings they have. So it shouldn't change during the offseason unless there's been massive changes to personnel. But for some reason, over the last three and a half to four weeks, West Virginia's odds of winning several of their games dropped. Their schedule got easier, and West Virginia got worse, and their projections got worse. It's like if, if your schedule got easier, you would think that there's, there are higher chances of winning more, but instead it got even worse. And I don't know what the heck changed in the last month. Like, I'm not aware of any massive injuries at West Virginia in the past month. I mean, the most talked about thing was Doug Nestor's arm, and the school didn't even address it, and he was out of a cast, like, a week and a half later. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. I just don't know. That that one's confusing to me. Oh, it'll sort it out in the field. In College Park on Saturday, let's uh, let's stop rambling, Chris. How about some questions and answers? Sounds good to me. The first one, uh, speaking of that game um, and starters and linemen, uh, Salm M, I believe, uh, who starts at right tackle and what will be the biggest surprise on Saturday? Let's focus on the right tackle thing because um, I'm not sure what he means by surprise. Like, are we talking about the game or are we talking personnel? Um Let's stick with personnel. So, Mike, who's starting at right tackle? And what's going to be your biggest personnel surprise come Saturday? I'm going with Wyatt Milam. Okay. Just heard that he's just been like a, a really impressive performance. He's been coming on strong and hasn't slowed down. I'm sure that Moore is going to play and that they'll need him to play too. I don't, I don't know if you ask your true freshman right tackle to go wire to wire, but I think that that's probably going to be what happens. And if not – Conversely, I think he'll play too. I think there's a, I think there's a, an argument to be made for the fact that Milam may be better and more may start, um, and maybe play more. I don't know. We'll see. But like, I just think that Milam starts there. I'll, I'll give you my other answer here. But what do you think about starter? I'm with you on that. I think I was torn on it, and I made an assumption earlier in camp when they talked about that battle that it would still be more that they wouldn't go that way with a true freshman, and I had somebody. Somebody with a capital S say, no, he's ready. Like, you don't understand. He's ready. He's ready, ready. And it, it seems like it's trending that direction. They have not been shy about really promoting it. I, I know, you know, he was out there, but freshman All-American stuff, they they started promoting that. That's pretty rare um, honor there. And for him to be in that conversation and to be in the mix, I think it shows that they feel confident in his abilities and it, and it's a real possibility that he starts on Saturday. Be history. I mean, <laughs> here's my favorite question. What's the last true freshman to start on the offensive line for West Virginia <laughs> last year? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, it's one, one of those things where like, we're like, Hey, yeah, it doesn't happen that often. Oh, when was the last time it happened mm, last year? Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday. <laughs> true freshman starting at center has maybe never happened. I believe it was, Greg Hunter from Blue and Gold News looked into that one, and I'm going to trust him on that, but that had never happened, so that's that's pretty impressive there. But center is a different position, but heck, so is right tackle. And again, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Maryland's defense, we can get into it, but they're, they're going to be tricky on the edges, so that, that could be an important an important game too. And listen, if one of them struggles, maybe the other one takes the whole share of snaps for a long time there. Uh, personnel surprise. I'm going to go with some of the names that I've just heard a bunch. Um, I don't want to say Scotty Young is going to be a surprise, but we just saw him for one game against a kind of a unique opponent, but I've, I've just heard nothing, nothing but good things about him. I think he's going to be one of the more popular players on this team. He, he can talk to anybody, and anybody will talk to him. And I think that there's a concern about 
that position being so important and losing a person who was as good as Tyke Smith and just being a drop off. And that I think is attached to a lot of the projections about the defense taking a step back, which is again, understandable. You lose the quantity slash quality of players that the defense lost, whether expected or unexpected. And you look at where they lost the players. And again, if you lose the most important position and the best player there, you're concerned. But I think that I think he's going to answer a lot of questions and just by being able to be versatile, um, can cover, can play the run. He's under, he understands how to be a safety and a corner and he's learning how to do the linebacker stuff. I think that'll be good. And then just the, the name I've heard on offense a whole lot is Tony Mathis. And if we talked about Liddy Brown and kind of, you know, making sure that he has some gas left in the tank in the fourth quarter of games, but also the fourth quarter of the season, then you're going to have to have a good running back. Um, I'm not sure how much they want to do with their receivers. I think you, you, you can't assume they're going to be game breakers right away. But they are terrific, but I think they're going to want to run the ball as much, if not more, than they pass it. And moreover, they want to be effective. I don't think you want to have hollow downs when Brown isn't in and you're just going three and out because you took a series out or it's second and eight. You got to get some yards, but Brown's on the sideline and all of a sudden it's third and nine or third and seven. You want to have productive downs. I think that if Tony Mathis is as good as everybody has said, we've seen very little of him, by the way, but if he's as good as everybody said, um, that could be an answer for running back number two. Um. Maybe that maybe that's your answer for this other question, because I'm going to tie the this question from NC Wayward Ear into my answer for the second one, because it, it it it'll answer both. Uh, this one from NC Wayward Ear was which non-starter will have the biggest impact against Maryland and why? Um, I don't know if Tony Mathis is your answer. So if it's not, I'll give you a moment here in a second. But um, to, before I get started here, though, we haven't got the depth chart yet. Supposed to, usually it comes with the game notes on Monday afternoon. Um, we're recording this first thing Tuesday morning. Uh, we got a note with the game notes that said depth chart would come Tuesday. So we're assuming on starters here. But my thing is that we answer that the personnel surprise and the non-starter. I just think something's going to go on with Deshaun Stevens. For me, I know it's like, hey, he's behind Josh Chandler, who is one of the most reliable defenders returning for this defense. But I feel like Stevens is a little more versatile than just being a a plug in the middle of a Mike linebacker spot. I think he could be on the edge. I think you're going to see him in packages and you're going to see him coming off the edge. I think you're going to see him in different roles. And for me, it's just it, it, it provides some versatility. And I would not be shocked if he's out there and making some plays in certain packages on Saturday, even though he's not listed as a starter. Interesting. I, I like the potential of him as a pass rusher. And again, just a different look from the middle. Again, can you play him at Mike and play Chandler at Will on third down plays or something like that? That's 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 a good one. I think just, that's a fun chess piece to watch. Um, Jordan White's got my attention. I keep talking about him, but I think he's just been very good, and they've been impressed by him. And if he can play either guard and be your backup center, whether they need him or not, that could be a good one there. I'd watch on that one. And then Charles Woods. They love Charles Woods, man. That guy's going to be a slot corner. He could be your backup corner. If something goes bad for Daryl Porter, maybe he's there. Um, he could play on pass downs. He's your backup spear. Like, I, I think he's going to be a valuable player. Um, those aren't, like, top-line names. You might not even see him a whole lot, but the fact that they're there, I think, is valuable. White, um, I think, has a chance to be really good. The trouble is he's got two good guards in front of him right now, and that center isn't going anywhere either. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This one from WVU Fan in D.C. You're Neil Brown, and you're game planning for Saturday. What's your number one priority, and what's your number one concern? I probably both the same. I would say you've got to establish the run. And if you can't establish the run, you're going to have probably a tough day because I think Maryland's secondary is pretty good. Um, like all-conference caliber, corner safety, maybe safeties, and not the best run defense. A, a lot of new players, whether it's on the line or at linebacker, they've had some injuries that are going to keep some of their star power out. They have some players that think are going to be good. If, if West Virginia's offensive line can't, you know, whether it's inside or outside zone or if it's any type of gap stuff, if they can't set and execute doubles, if they can't pop runs, if they can't get the yards, if they need a yard, um, I'm not sure that it's going to be the best idea to go at that secondary. So I would tie them both together. I would say I want to really establish the run. If I can throw play action off of that, if I can be really good on RPO off of that, then great. It's going to make sure that defense is a little bit compromised and that secondary has got to have, you know, its antenna up for stuff. But if that front six seven is doing the work against West Virginia's offensive line, those cornerbacks and safeties are going to be greedy. They're going to be effective against the pass. And all of a sudden in West Virginia, you're, you're playing in a situation you do not and maybe aren't designed to play in. My priority is, I'm with you, establishing the run because Maryland's run defense ranked Ooh. 115th out of 127 teams that played last season. They had basically one decent game against Penn State, where they only allowed 94 yards rushing. In the other four games, that average was up around 270 yards per game, over five yards per rush, and a total of 14 touchdowns in just four games. Like, their run defense was horrid last year, except for that one game. And I think with Luddy Brown, and if you can get that going, if if – I were game planning this and it was available and, and Maryland doesn't, you know, strike up something that's different. I might run the ball 40 times on Saturday, mm-hmm. 50 times. Who know? Like this, this seems like a defense, a run defense you can really exploit. And with Letty Brown, and if you feel confident in some of these backup running backs, you can really kind of just pound the rock. And the other side of that is my biggest concern is the passing game. I, I think, um, it's up in the air about Daggy's advanced statistics. I kind of broke it down in the different why WV will win big, why they'll fall flat. Um, and and Maryland's secondary is amazing. And I'm also concerned about giving him the time to make good throws because if why you might end up with a redshirt fresh or a true freshman at right tackle and a true sophomore or a redshirt sophomore at left tackle that. While Brandon Yates has gotten some good some good pub this preseason, he is a guy that was a freshman last year starting and did okay and then had, you know, what you would expect a freshman to do, struggled a little bit as, as the year went on. So who are we going to see there? And if you're struggling on the edges, you're young and struggling on the edges, inconsistent on the edges, I think is better than struggling. Um, that could be trouble for a, an offense, especially with a quarterback who, as we've noted a million times, he is great when he's kept clean and really bad when he gets pressured. I have to wonder about Maryland's defense and how much carryover there is from, as you said, 
terrible run defense, but one, just a five-game season, and new coordinator, too. So maybe there's new ideas in there. I would think for the run defense is part of the reason there's a change. And their their coach, their defense coordinator is Stewart. Well, their their old defensive coordinator is in the NFL now, so I think oh, yeah. he failed upward. <laughs> um, and Stewart, I believe, was in the Big 12 last year with Baylor. Yeah, Baylor. He's not, not unfamiliar with West Virginia's uh, offense. Um, and Baylor had pretty good success on the defensive side of the ball against West Virginia the past two years. That was a really good defensive staff last year, too. Um, so there's there's something to look at there. How much can he bring from the Baylor playbook that worked? How much of it is itself? Um We'll see. He's he's been in that position before. That's a familiar name to us. So, um, again, how much has he changed things? But again, he's he's well traveled too, and there might be a reason for that as well. Uh, on a related note, from Bryson Harvey, who's the tougher matchup for WVU to deal with on Saturday? All right, Taga Viola, the quarterback, or Tarheeb Still and Nick Cross at defensive back. I have no idea what to expect from their quarterback. I really don't. I don't either. Yeah. I, I would. I mean, and again, to that, I don't really know exactly what to expect from West Virginia's. Uh, I, I would say the levers that they could pull to affect him is their pass rush going to be good? Are they going to have to blitz? And can the corners, you know, play against very good receivers? Like their receivers are going to be tough. They're going to be deep. So that's that's up in the air for me, which makes me think that that's probably the hardest one because you you can't prepare for it. You don't know. You kind of know what you're going to get out of steel. And um, I mean, both those safeties are good. The cross is probably like an NFL player. He was the best player in Maryland like three years ago. So I know it's a small state, but there's a lot of talent in that state, especially if he's from DeMatha. So those are pretty good bona fides. Um, I'm going to go with the quarterback just because I don't know what to expect. And that kind of spooks me a little bit. He was he was very different in different aspects last year, but he looked like when he was able to stay on script and be comfortable, he was good. And I don't know what extent we can expect West Virginia's blitzing and pressure to be that good. We'll see. Maybe Taz Austin and Akeem Mezendor and Dante Stills and et cetera behind them have something to do with it. Do you have to bring pressure to kind of rattle their quarterback? We'll see. Um, also, me spelling Tago Bailoa is the one I'm mostly worried about. <laughs> Did you see I didn't even give it a, a, a chance with the first name? I, I could do kind of do the last name because of his brother at Alabama, mm-hmm. but uh, not the first name. Um I'm going to say the secondary because okay. one we everyone they're good they're really good and, and there's no denying that and it's hard to really game plan around that unless you're just going to literally try to run the ball 50 times for the quarterback there are I, I yeah and we'll go into this later in the week uh, with some of the advanced stats and some of the other things he basically had two games where he was amazing and they won. Uh, averaged about 350 yards through six touchdowns and one interception with a QB rating of 95 in those two games. In the other two games, he was horrid with averaging 160 yards with one touchdown and six interceptions and a QB rating of 30. Hmm. I feel like with such a divergence like that of just two amazing games two really crappy games. And it's not like they were in a row, you know, like he was feeling it. It was like crappy game, great game, great game, crappy game. And the opponents, I mean, he had a great game against Minnesota and Penn state and crappy game against Iowa or Indiana and Northwestern. Um, So I'm not sure what you draw there, except for there's something in the game plan. There is something there that West Virginia can do that it's on the film. Hey, he struggles when teams do X. 
he struggles when teams do Y. He feels comfortable when they do Z. So I, I think with such a divergence, there is something in the mix. There's something in the game plan that West Virginia can do to make him play more like the Indiana and the Northwestern game than the Penn State and Minnesota game. Another new coordinator, though. Yes. Although, uh, just to note, and I haven't posted this yet, but in my interview with our Maryland site, I asked him about that. I said, well, how is Dan Enos going to impact this offense? Is he going to take over play calling, all that stuff? And and the vibe out of College Park is that basically this is still Mike Loxley's offense and that Enos is going to be an extension of Locks. So it's not going to be that much different, which I don't want to say their offense was bad, but it kind of surprised me. I thought they were bringing him in for, for some new insight, but uh, you know, it, we've seen this, we, we see it all across college football all the time. It is hard for offensive coordinators who become head coaches to let go of the offense. So it doesn't really surprise me, I guess that Loxley's still in charge. Well, he's familiar with the, the family. I believe he coached to at Alabama. I don't think Talia was at Alabama at that point, but certainly was familiar with them. So, but I'm I'm looking at uh, his career, Enos, by the way, and that was a name that was thrown around a little bit for West Virginia's head coaching job. And never yeah, got, I remember that. It never went far, but that was a, a, a name, a candidate. Um, finished up three years in Arkansas in seventeen. Remember, he went to Michigan and then left Michigan to go to Alabama for the eighteen season. Twenty nineteen in Miami, and last year Cincinnati. That is a lot of stops in a short amount of time. That's literally more than one a year because he yep. did two in one year, too. So, uh, again, some of these guys like mercenaries, but he's been he's had good results wherever he's been. And I think maybe some familiarity with Loxley's offense. Um, they were at Alabama together. Um, he knows the quarterback family a little bit. Again, does that does that mean he can he can make that guy as good a player as his brother? No, by no means. But um, something to watch for again. How much can we translate last year's results in such a strange season to this year with you know, new coordinators and new leadership. We'll see it. But like, you're probably right. By and large, that offense is going to look uh, similar to what it did last year, especially in areas where the quarterback was good. Uh, let's see a uh, quick question from crew WVU. Uh, I'll touch on this real quick. Cause I kind of mentioned it on the board after he'd already asked it, but when do we expect to see Jalen Anderson? Uh, will he redshirt? Also what's the latest on Tyron would be um, Anderson. For those who don't know, you, you know, I, I posted that update on Friday night that, He's still trying to get this one more class, and if it clears that one class, he's in. And so my, I kind of get the impression that he's kind of enrolled, like not enrolled, but has has the process begun. So it's not like he's behind the eight ball. He's going to be starting the process after he gets the result from that class. It's more of a once that class is done, he might be enrolling at the school like the next day. So I would, I think there's still positivity that he's going to be there, and I absolutely believe he'll redshirt. Uh, like almost zero doubt in my mind, unless he walks onto campus and is already like, you know, basically Letty Brown. I don't think they're going to try to rush him like that, especially when they need to get him uh, accustomed or acclimated to college life, college courses. As for would-be, uh, we had an update from Brian Doan recently that he was appealing to the NCAA for one more class to enroll early. They, I, West Virginia side of things, I don't know, but would-be side of things, they feel confident on things. Uh, earlier in the summer, West Virginia felt confident he was coming. I don't know what the latest is from their side on that now, but if he doesn't make it, he wasn't supposed to make it. Like, you know, he, he's supposed to be a 2022 kid. Mm -hmm. So if he doesn't make it in, uh, super early, he'll still be in Morgantown in January. He's not going to contribute this year. He'll still redshirt no matter what. So um, I, I don't think that's as pressing as the Anderson thing is. 
Anderson's uh, interesting. I mean, they they're, they recruited that position pretty well the past couple of years. He was supposed to be the gem this season. Maybe he's the gem next season, but um, there's there's talent coming next year too. Going to be some yeah. good running backs in that room next year. Um, all right, so we've we've touched on personnel. We've touched on this game a little bit, and now uh, uh, maybe the final question. This one from Nick One Stern, uh, more of a big picture one. Thought it was a really good one. You, you picked this one out, and I agree with you. It was a good question. WVU gets a win where they shouldn't and a loss where they obviously shouldn't as well. Which games produce those outcomes? I like this one. So let's let's go over, like, actually, I don't want to say that, because I'm only crossing off one game as, like, I would be stunned if it didn't happen. I'd be stunned if they beat Oklahoma. I would say everything else, up to and including Kansas, I would not be stunned by an outcome. Like, if Kansas beat West Virginia... I mean, I mean, people would be amazed, but like, I'm like, well, listen, that's college football. But similarly, I would, I just don't see them beating Oklahoma. I don't know why. Just that this has a hard, uh, a hard sell for me right there. So it's a pretty long list of like ten games where something could happen here. Um, the one where like the loss could happen that shouldn't is a hard one again because when 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 you were gone and Tom Bragg and I did a podcast together. There's not many. There's one game where they're going to be a heavy underdog. Like, even when Iowa State comes to town, that's going to be here. I know they haven't been close in the field a couple of years, but that's not going to be like a 17-point spread. So I think what's promising about this season on the on the eve of everything getting underway here is that they're supposed to be in a lot of these games, which makes me think that, like, this is a hard one to answer because what's a game they shouldn't lose? They could lose any one of them, really. Um, the one that would surprise me the most, though, is hard to answer. And like, I just, uh, man, the the tech one, the Virginia Tech one, just because there's so much emotion in that game. It's the first one here in what 16 years. It's gonna be sold out. Tech can't even sell their tickets. I'm sure there's gonna be some ACC dynamic to that game. And I just wonder if like West Virginia's better than Tech. We'll know about Tech pretty quickly. Again, I've already said this, like, I don't think they're going to beat UNC, and I would not be surprised if they lost to Middle Tennessee State. I think it's a tough spot. Middle Tennessee State might be good. And that would just be one, like, man, they probably shouldn't have lost that game because, again, I think a lot of the fate of their season is going to come from their their non-conference play. And the difference between being 2-1 and one and 3-0 and oh is just one game, but that could be significant. And, again, if they lose on Saturday, which, again, I'm not counting here because going on the road to, to open a game against a Big Ten team is tough. I'm not saying that that would be uh, – I can't use that one to answer my question here, but um, – that would be a strange one here, but even the tech one for me is a hard answer. So I'm going to go to the, the game that it just, I've said this before, I think it's the biggest game for the season for West Virginia. That Texas Tech game, that might be a game they lose that they just can't afford to lose. It's at home. I don't know what shape Texas Tech is going to be in. There's a lot of buzz about them all of a sudden. Um, Tyler Shook's the quarterback. They've transferred players in that are going to be probably effective. They need them to be. And I think a lot of people would be surprised if Neil Brown went 0-3 against Matt Wells, of all people. Uh, not even the good Matt Wells. The Matt Wells of Texas Tech, not the Matt Wells of West Virginia. Um, that would be the one I would think because it would be at home. Um, and that's like that get-right game that we keep talking about. Like, that's the team he's got to beat if he wants to leapfrog certain teams in the conference. Um, and then just where it is in the schedule, I believe their buy is after that, too. Is that correct? No. After ba- after Baylor the following week. Okay, so like that's that's just the one, but it's in that 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 spot in the schedule where like okay things didn't go great against Oklahoma. However, it's Texas Tech. It's at home. That would be the one that I would answer that question with. There's there's candidates for sure. Um, 
but I think Texas Tech would be the one that is likely and would be the one that you just don't see coming. So mm. I'm with you. I, Texas Tech was on my mind because they got a new quarterback who was kind of efficient. Um, as, I mean, he had a little bit of turnover, but w- was in the mix at, at Oregon, completed like 65% of his passes. Um, I think, and they needed a quarterback. I think that was a big problem they had last year, although you wouldn't know it from when West Virginia plays them. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm looking at the games where West Virginia would be a favorite. And at some of these are, I think, a game that they are, I guess, expected to lose, but you could see them winning. I'm eyeballing that Texas game, final mm-hmm. home game of the year, senior day. Uh, maybe Texas at that point is, you know, five and five or six and four or something like that. It's just a disappointing year for them. And they're coming to that game. And, and right now uh, using the ESPN football power index, you know, West Virginia's what 28% chance of winning. So I I think it's higher than that, uh, especially at home with all those variables in play, but a game that God, it, would be really disappointing they lose. I was with you on the Texas Tech thing. This Maryland one would be one, but although technically they're favored, so I can't pick it, uh, or I can pick it, but I, I just think it's close enough that it wouldn't be that stunning, is Baylor. At Baylor. Mm. Um, that is one that I just don't... You you can't lose, and I think it's more is it more losable than people might believe. You know, Baylor had a bad year last year. They really did. and But they have a decent coach. They've brought in some decent talent. And it wouldn't stun me if, you know, West Virginia goes into Waco and Baylor's sitting there with, you know, they're coming off a couple losses because they got a pretty tough schedule too. West Virginia opens with Oklahoma, but Baylor opens with for Big 12 play. They get Kansas in week three, but then they get Iowa State and at Oklahoma State right before West Virginia comes to town. So I, something tells me to watch that. That game just something stinks about it. I don't like it. I don't like it for West Virginia, and I think it's a really important game for them to win. My surprise win, I didn't even have a hard time with this one, Oklahoma State. That's a team they've got a losing streak against. Um, and I just think a lot of people think that that's a, a top-tier team in the Big 12 annually. I'm not really sure I believe that. Also, uh, that team loses a game every year it shouldn't lose. And their schedule is, is like, really tricky before that. They're at Texas, at Iowa State. And then they get Kansas at home. And that just makes me feel like that whatever iron sharpened iron against those two back-to-back ranked teams, expected ranked teams, I'm not sure Texas would be ranked. I'm also not even sure why Texas is ranked. Um, but anyways, that's a tough one. It's on the road. Follow that with Iowa State in the road. That's that's two body blows back to back. And you get Kansas after that, and then all of a sudden you kind of get back into the country club. You got to travel to West Virginia. Um, that just makes sense to me that that would make no sense because they've had West Virginia's number for a couple of years on the scoreboard. Maybe not on the field so much. Like last year's game is is one or two plays, and they were really close. That's one of a handful of games that West Virginia coulda, shoulda, woulda. Um, but I think a lot of people presume that's going to be a loss because of recent history. Good teams and bad teams from West Virginia have not been able to beat Oklahoma State. Uh, that would not surprise me. I think that's a game that you might see a win that predictions would suggest otherwise. I'm with you. I think Oklahoma State's got some good players coming back. and and I'm, But I, I agree with your sentiment of 
wait, why does everyone just immediately consider Oklahoma State like the number three or number four team in the league all the time when I'm, I'm not sure they are consistently that. And there, there's something about their quarterback that I just, I feel like he's got all the talent in the world, but he is such a, uh, um, so turnover prone I'm talking about Spencer Sanders. He's so turnover prone that there's, there's just games, as you noted, that they just lose, that they shouldn't lose. And a lot of the time it's because all of a sudden that offense has turned it over four times in the game uh, or, or Sanders has gone, you know, 14 of 30 from when he's throwing the ball. So I, I'm with you. I think that that's a game that you can circle too. that, that that's going to be a good one. They love him this year. Everything I've read about him is that he's been amazing down there too. And mm-hmm. again, if he's not the guy that Illingworth is not bad and they're going to have a great defense too. So again, that, that could be a strange one. Uh, breaking news, Chris, are you ready? Go. Will Greer waved. Yep. Saw that rolling across the timeline while we were talking. Um, that's a head coach who really, really liked him. Do you remember when uh, when Matt Rule was the head coach at Baylor? He could not stop talking about Will Greer. I understand the NFL is different, but that's an advocate there. And so much so that, like, Rule brought in his quarterback from Temple. And P.J. Walker is probably a pretty good backup. Uh, I don't think anybody was pretending that Greer was going to start or Walker was going to start. Really only room for like two quarterbacks on rosters now, which leads me to this. Um, there's only room for like two quarterbacks on a roster. There's going to be some good quarterbacks who get cut because there's three quarterbacks on some rosters. So maybe he's one of them, but he's going to have some company. Is he in the league this year? I One, he's still practice squad eligible, I believe. So sure. I think he could end up on that. But I like at the same time that I saw on my timeline that he got cut, I saw notice that the Cowboys cut Garrett Gilbert, who is expected to be their backup. That's not a bad spot to be. If you're that, if a team is looking for a backup quarterback, I think he's, I think he's going to be in the mix for some of those teams that are like, yeah, we don't really like our backup or their backup currently is like a 14 year veteran. And there may be trying to look for somebody that, that isn't, you know, 37 years old and you know that they're kind of a 500 ball quarterback, maybe try to get some upside guy like Will Greer. And I I think Talis might not be a bad spot for that, especially if they, I mean, if they really did cut Gilbert, like I saw scrolling across, I'm looking for the official word from the Dallas uh, Cowboys account, but that wouldn't be a bad spot. I would be surprised. I think he'll be on the practice squad. I don't know. We'll see. But again, like there's going to be, I just wonder who has seen the thing and what that thing is from Greer. I mean, he had a good preseason, had some highlight plays and throws, had some highlight runs, mm-hmm. which is kind of surprising. Um, I just wonder if that thing exists or if you're going on potential with him, and that might just make him the the practice squad guy. But, um, boy, a, a change. I think that's a guy that people thought early on at, in his West Virginia days, if not his college days, he was going to be an NFL quarterback. And then, um, hey, it's a different league. It's a different game. And, that that another level is is difficult for some people to reach uh, and stay at too. So another development for Will Greer, which means Geno Smith, last quarterback standing, still the, going strong. Yeah, ten, was he a ten year veteran now? Is that where we're at? He's he's, been, he's getting close. What a what a career for him from from huh. beginning to now too. So hey, we'll see. Could be in worse yeah. situations than being where he's at right now too. So we'll see how it goes for him. Does he make that team? Does he get in the field? Who knows? But um, hey, longevity is. Um, what they say, availability is the best ability. Yeah, yeah. what yeah. three counts too. 
Eight seasons, eight seasons, and over nine million dollars. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people would take that. Well, speaking of millions and millions of dollars, Chris, I'm going to go hit the Randy yeah, Caesar's uh, jackpot. <laughs> yes, 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 and try to figure out what I can do to help your charity bets and everything. Uh, not take money from the poor. Uh, see if I can be Robin Hood, so to speak. There you go. I have nothing else. You. Nope, that's it for today. Again, we'll be back uh, with another one that we'll post sometime Thursday and um, hopefully have some more answers on on things that are going on with this team for this week's game because uh, shortly after we hopped off this podcast, hopefully we'll have a depth chart in our inbox and then we'll get to talk to Neil Brown and select coaches and players. Yes, head coach, coordinators, players. We're not really sure who. We just know that from eh, noon to two availability. Chris, you'll be on the on the laptop right away the media feedback i'll come back with some things i've heard and otherwise gathered from there and then kind of take you to kickoff 3 30 saturday until then i am mike Casaza, and i'm chris anderson we'll talk to you next time